Good morning. Um, it is a, an absolute delight for, for us to be here. Um, after four years, we were planning on being here two years ago, and then 2020 hit. Um, you all know the rest. But it is, it is just a blessing for us to finally be here with you all face to face. You all have been so kind and generous to us. And um, thank you to the elders to, for just even allowing me to preach. You never know what a missionary is going to say on a Sunday. Um, but thank you. Um, and we just want to thank you. Our family just wants to thank you for, for your kind support towards us. Um, we strongly believe that you all are just as important to our mission in Argentina as we are. You all are senders, and you have sent us in many ways to, to be able to, to accomplish the mission there, and we covet your prayers, and we thank you so much. Um, so let's, uh, let's pray. We hope that we can, we, we, we see you later today um, at the meet and greet, um, but I want to preach a sermon because now is the time to hear from God and not just from me, so let, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for today. We thank you for your kindness to us. Um, what a wonderful song to just remind us of our hope in Christ and how our ultimate hope is, is only in Christ and nothing else, and help us to persevere as believers through your grace. We know that we are secure in, in Christ, and you are holding us firm. The Father is holding us, um, and we just rejoice in, in the salvation that you've given to us. Uh, I just pray for our sister Jan as well, and just pray for her that you would just continue to um, just give her perseverance, and we do pray for ultimate healing in her, and we just pray that she would glorify you in all things. Father, I thank you for this church and the way that you're working in this church and the way that you're sanctifying this, this church and, and just making this body more holy and more like Christ. Father, we give you all the glory now in Jesus' name. Amen. So when Danica and I were thinking about missions, I was a pastor in, in Washington State for about eight years and just through a different... just different trips that we were taking and, you know, the Lord pressing upon our hearts the need for missions um, and working overseas, you know, the Lord finally convinced us that it, it, we were supposed to go and not just, um, you, you know, pray or, or just send money or whatever it might be, but we were the ones that were supposed to go. But one of the questions that came to our minds is, how do we do this? How do we do missions? How do we be missionaries? We don't know how to do this. I knew how to be a pastor, kind of, um, and, and now I've got to go overseas and try to do this. Um, so, you know, but, but as we look at Scripture, we look at, at Christ, and we look at Christ, and we see that in many ways He is the model missionary for us. You know, there are certainly aspects of His mission that may not apply as, as much to us, but we can look at His mission— and we can see that he is, in, in many ways, the model missionary and the model uh, evangelist, and he really provides uh, an example for us. Um, and so I want us to turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, 
verses 35 through 38. And I'm just going to read from, from that passage, and then we'll, we'll get started. Um, and in this passage, Jesus is he's doing ministry in Galilee. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and read it. And it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. So as we read this passage, I want us to see three things or, or three characteristics about Christ that really demonstrate to us what it is to be a model missionary or evangelist um, or, or worker of a ministry. And so I want us to see three characteristics in this passage. The first characteristic that we see is Jesus in his actions. So he was a healer, he was a teacher, he was a preacher. And the second is Jesus in his attitude. So we see Jesus in his attitude and his mission. We see his compassion towards the lost. And the third characteristic that I want us to see is Jesus and his authority to send out missionaries into the harvest. So let's begin with the first characteristic that we see with Jesus. We see Jesus in his actions, and we see that in verse 35. Um, as I mentioned, Jesus is ministering in his mission field at this particular moment, and that happens to be in Galilee. And, and what we see in this section is really a conclusion to the previous section of this chapter where Jesus is seen in his healing ministry. And one of the key markers of Jesus's ministry is that he is constantly going around to different places with the focus on teaching, healing, and proclaiming the kingdom of God. Those are his actions. So what do we see in verse 35? We see, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So Jesus is marked by teaching, he's marked by proclaiming, and he is marked by healing. Those are his actions. So let's just take a look at the first. Jesus is a teacher. The first action here is teaching. Verse 35 says that he would go into the synagogues and he would teach them. He would teach the Jews. Of course, there's no surprise there. Why? Jesus is a Jew. And the synagogue is, is really the heart of religious life for the Jewish people. It's, it's the center of religious instruction. It was the place of instruction and worship for the Jewish people. So there's no question as to why Jesus, who is a teacher, would find his way into the synagogue. It's interesting, if you were to do a survey of the Gospels, you would find that Jesus has several different titles you know, one of those titles that we see often or frequently is, is that Jesus is called the Son of Man. That's some 80 times in the Gospels. Jesus is also called Lord several times. But the third most common title that we see Jesus, um, given to Jesus is that he is called a teacher. 
69 times in the Gospels, Jesus is called a teacher. And one of the most basic observations that is interesting for me to know is that Jesus cares about theology. He cared about the theological beliefs of the people. This is why he went into the religious institutions and he taught. He was frequently correcting error. We know that Jesus frequently went in and spoke to people about how, that how he was the, the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament um, promises. And, and, and we see actually in one particular occasion in John chapter 6, we kind of get to eavesdrop on Jesus teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. And it's quite interesting what he says. In John chapter 6, verse, verses 56 through 59, here's what it says. Jesus says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. How's that for an intro to a sermon? <laughs> and I in him, right? As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from, from heaven, not like the bread of the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. We also see the Apostle Paul. Paul is, is known for his itinerant mission, um, missions, and, and he goes around planting churches and teaching in different institutions. And we see in Acts chapter 17, something similar. He goes into a synagogue. And here's what it says. Now, when they had passed through Amphilius and Apollonesia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So just two examples that I've shared, both Jesus and Paul, they enter the synagogues and teaching is important. What the people believe is actually important to them. You see that their message is very Christ-centered. And, you know, as I think about this, I, I think about our missions as well, and, and, and our particular mission in Argentina, because one of the focuses of our mission in Argentina is, the, is theological instruction. We want to go into hard hard places that are hard places to reach sometimes we go to villages um, and we work with with folks you got to drive on a dirt road for about four hours you just pray that you don't get a flat tire because if you do you only have one left and then you're stranded so so we go into these places and when we when we arrive there's churches we have brothers and sisters there that have invited us to come and they really can't leave these villages um, there's, they don't have cars. There's really no way to leave. And they want to learn. They want to learn. And, and all across the world, um, apart from really North America, what we see is, is often called a, a theological famine. So we see many 
places in the world, in the Middle East and South America and India and China, different places where there is, is a theological famine. Believers who lack proper resources to, to learn how to study their Bibles, learn how to uh, know what the message of the New Testament, even know what the message of the gospel is. You know, we were in Washington working with some of the students there in the Awana class. You guys have Awana here? No? Okay. Well, you all, I'm sure, maybe know what it is. But we were t speaking with them, and I told them, I said, you know, kids, you all know maybe more theology and more about the Bible than a lot of the pastors that we work with in the north of Argentina. There's a theological famine. And, and so that is why our mission exists, because we want to provide proper theological formation and we believe this is important. We believe that Paul thought this was important. And we believe that Jesus thought this was important. What we believe matters, right? What we believe matters. We also see Jesus proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom in, in this verse. So he's teaching, but he also proclaims the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the kingdom, of course, there's no question as to why this would be important to his mission. The gospel of the kingdom is the only hope of salvation for the world. People all over the world have one need, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. According to some organizations, some 7,000 people groups still exist that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And their only hope is for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be preached to them, to be taught, and for them to believe. I was talking with a few people this week. I don't know why these conversations came up. But anyways, I was talking with some people. And I was telling them that we, you know, we travel and we, we do work, missionary work in, in, in Argentina. And we do ministry stuff. And these, these two people were not believers. Two separate conversations. And both of them told me, you know, if just more young people could travel, we think that the world would be a better place. And, you know, I love traveling. I live in Argentina, and I honestly do think that traveling abroad is helpful, and you do get to experience new cultures. But the answer to the world's problems doesn't, lessen, doesn't reside in more traveling. Our greatest problem is our sin, and the one solution is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that right? So we also see in this particular passage that Jesus was a healer. He healed people of their diseases. We don't have a particular healing ministry in Argentina. I don't go around laying hands on people and expecting them to be healed on the spot as Jesus healed people. Um, obviously, we do pray for it. But we frequently see that Jesus heals people as a way of, of demonstrating his identity and demonstrating that he was the divine son of God, that he was God incarnate. And so he goes around and he teaches, he preaches, and he is also healing people of their diseases. The second characteristic that I want us to see from Jesus' ministry and really what makes him an ideal missionary or evangelist, is we see Jesus in his attitude. We see Jesus in his attitude towards the lost. Look at verse 36. 
It says, when he saw the crowds, he had what? That's right. He had compassion for them because they were sheep where they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So what we see is that the previous section where Jesus is healing and teaching others and traveling through the land and interacting with other people, well, that ministry now really serves as a catalyst for this next point. We, we see now his interactions with others, with the lost, demonstrate or reveal a certain kind of attitude that Jesus has, and that is compassion. Jesus was moved to compassion. One commentator notes that what, what we see here is not purely human pity, but divine compassion for troubled people. The, the word for compassion here literally means moved in the inward parts. It, it has the idea of an intense feeling and deep tenderness towards others. So what we are seeing here is that Jesus, upon seeing the lost sheep of Israel being misled and dying and going to hell and spending an eternity from him, that visual now reveals the kind of attitude that Jesus has towards them and that is compassion. And of course, we see this over and over again. Just by reading the Gospels, we see that Jesus frequently has compassion or pity on the crowds. Matthew 14, 14 says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Matthew 15, 32 says, then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. There's no shortages where the crowds and the desperate state of the people literally move Jesus to compassion. This should come as no surprise, right? Because Jesus is God. He is God incarnate. And we know that the very nature of God is that he is a compassionate God. So, so now in the previous examples, those verses that I just read, we see Jesus having compassion for, for often a lack of food or the physical needs that others have. Maybe the healing that they, they, they need or the food that they need. But in our particular passage, we see, we see a different reason for why Jesus has compassion on the crowds. Why does Jesus have compassion on the crowds? We see that Jesus has compassion on the crowds because they were harassed and helpless and they were like sheep without a shepherd. So what does this mean? It means that the religious leaders in the day of Christ, they had a responsibility to lead and to care for the people. They were shepherds, but they had failed in their work. Within the Jewish religious system, the leaders were supposed to serve as leaders and shepherds to the people who would guide them into the truth and care for the people, care for the, for the people of Israel as a nation. Yet, yet far too frequently, we see the opposite, right? We see the religious leaders of the day, we see them lead them into error. 
Hence the reason why Jesus is in the synagogues teaching them about truth. And Jesus looks upon the people, and they are a lost sheep without a shepherd. It's interesting, there's one point in the Old Testament with the prophet Ezekiel, where Ezekiel is given a message to condemn the the religious leaders of the day for their failure to lead and shepherd well the Jewish people. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 4, listen to the message that Ezekiel had for the people. He says, They, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, and the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So in the Old Testament, we see Ezekiel condemning the religious leaders for not taking proper care of his people. In other words, they were leaders that were not moved to compassion, to care, to heal, to bind up the broken, but rather they were leaders that sought to rule out of their own power and interests. And now Jesus is on the scene, and Jesus sees the nation of Israel as a people who have no leadership. They have no shepherds. They are misled. They are susceptible to the teaching of false teachers. And Jesus sees their lostness and their utter sinfulness and is moved to compassion. We too also were once lost and hopeless, desperate, wicked sinners. For those of whom Christ has already saved, we were helpless to save ourselves. We were also considered lost sheep, and Christ, who is the great Savior of the world, saves us from our sin and our desperate state. And one of the promises that we see in the New Testament is that Jesus comes on the scene and he himself becomes the great shepherd that was missing. He is the one that will truly seek out the lost, and he is the one that will bind up the wounded and care for the needy. Christ himself is the great shepherd. As John 10 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So now we see that Jesus is motivated as he's interacting with the lost. He's motivated by compassion because of their lostness. Now, as we think about the attitude that Jesus has towards the lost, which is an attitude of compassion, I want us to reflect upon something How do we respond to the lost in our own world? I I want to ask, what motivates our evangelism and our mission in this world? What motivates us to proclaim the gospel to others? Are we motivated by deep compassion for others? Are we literally moved to compassion when we see others in our community, in our jobs, in our schools, in our families, Are we moved to compassion when we see them dying and perishing in their sins? Let me ask a very specific question. What is your attitude towards those in your community, in your personal context, who might tend to oppose your own personal ideologies or your own opinions in this world? We live in a very divisive world, in the church and outside. And what is striking to me is that Jesus looks at those in desperate need of the gospel, the good news, and he has compassion. And do we have compassion on others like Christ did? Or are we motivated by the need to be right 
or are we motivated perhaps by having successful ministry or so that others might think highly of us? We look at Christ and he was motivated by compassion. The third and final aspect of Jesus's ministry that we see is we see Jesus in his authority. We see Jesus in his authority. We see here the authority of Christ displayed by Jesus commanding his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers into the harvest. Matthew 9, 37 through 38, what does it say? It says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. So in the previous verse, we saw that the people were sheep without a shepherd. And now the imagery actually changes from from shepherd and sheep to agriculture imagery. A, A picture of now a large crop of grain that needs to be harvested. And Jesus is commanding his disciples to pray for more workers. So this imagery of a crop is now compared to the vast amount of lost people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved and the few workers that there are to do the work. Few about a month ago, I was in Florida. I don't do farming, but I had my one little chance to do it at a Yupik strawberry field. That's not true. That's not true farming. I know. Um, but there I was. We can pay for a bucket and go pick strawberries. But as we were gathering strawberries, what we noticed is that there weren't a whole lot of strawberries left to be picked, because there were so many people that had come through and just about picked them all. Well, the image in this passage is the opposite, right? The image uh, in this passage is, no, there's, there's more to be done, but there's not enough workers to do the job. And now Christ is, is gathering a, a larger group of, of disciples and telling them to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. Now, I said that this passage kind of demonstrates Christ's authority. And how is that? Well, frequently in the New Testament, we see this idea of sending associated with the idea of authority. So in in chapter 9, we see that, that Christ is gathering a larger group of disciples and telling them to pray to the Lord of the harvest. But now, now look at in chapter 10 of, 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 of Matthew, what happens in, in chapter 10? Now, Jesus is gathering a very specific group of disciples, his, his 12 apostles. And look what happens. And he called to him his 12 disciples or his apostles, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Sound familiar? That was the kind of ministry that Jesus was doing. And now Jesus is giving his apostles that same type of delegated authority to accomplish his own mission. And then in verse 5 in chapter 10, look, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out. Sound familiar? Chapter 9, Jesus is commanding his other disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest to what? To send out disciples. 
And so now we see Jesus' authority demonstrated in sending out apostles to accomplish his great commission. Now, what's another common mission passage that we frequently look at? Matthew chapter, what? 28, right? And what does Matthew chapter 28 say? This is the conclusion of the book that we're in right now. This is the great commission that we, we see Jesus is giving last instructions to his disciples. And what does he say? And Jesus came and said to them, All, what? Authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, in light of the authority that Christ has, now go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here Jesus is now commanding his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations based on the fact that he has authority to send out. And he tells them, make disciples of all nations. Well, surely this now applies to all of us, correct? This is an application to all of us. We now are part of that commission to go out because Christ has authority. Now, I realize that most will not actually go to another country. And that is perfectly fine if, if, if God has designated you to stay here. But all of us are called to, to, to share the good news of the gospel, correct? And, and when I think about our own personal evangelism or mission, one of the greatest barriers that I, that I can see to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, to sharing it with family members, is frequently maybe shame or, or timidness or, or even fear, the, the fear of man, what others might think of us. But you know, one of the greatest comforts in our weakness is knowing that when we go out, we go out with the authority of Christ. And that kind of truth can conquer that kind of timidness and help us in our ministry wherever it might be. So, first you see Jesus in his mission in chapter 9, just to sum things up a little bit, you see Jesus and his actions. Jesus is teaching. He cares about theological instruction. And he's proclaiming the gospel because he came to seek and to save the lost. And he's healing. He's caring for the needs of those around him. And he is demonstrating his deity. And he also has compassion. We see his attitude. He is a God of compassion and Jesus is God incarnate and therefore he has compassion on the lost and finally we see Jesus's authority to send out workers into the harvest wherever that might be whether it be in Argentina North Africa Hayden wherever it might be 
So I want to conclude um, by giving some maybe practical ways that you all can be involved in global missions. Because like I said, I realize that most will not go, go to another country and, and maybe do full-time missions. And you know, honestly, I pray the Lord that he does raise up more from even this church to go. But I realize that may not happen um, for a majority, and that's perfectly fine. Um, but I was thinking the other day, how can the, the church body participate in missions? How, how can you all even participate in missions that Christ has authorized us to do? So the first I would just say is, is think strategically about how you might share the gospel with lost people in your own context. Might it be family members or people at your school or at your work? Think about how you can pray for them. Maybe write their name down and commit to praying them for the next month and just see how God works and ask the Lord to open up an opportunity for you to, to, to share the gospel with them. I, you know, I tell people that missionaries are not made on airplanes. In other words, you don't just get on an airplane and then get off in another country and all of a sudden you're super evangelist, right? That doesn't work that way. In fact, a lot of times it's even harder because you can't speak the language at first. So there's difficulty, but commit to being an evangelist and somebody that shares the, the, the care, the love, and the gospel of Jesus Christ with others right here in your own context. The second thing I would say is find ways to pray for missionaries and pray for more missionaries. Pray for their kids. We have five. We'd covet your prayers. I've already, I, I've already talked to several um, who, you know, from this church that say, your prayer card is on our fridge. And I say, go eat more food because we need more prayer. <laughs> right? Um, so thank you. But continue to find ways to pray for missionaries. And when they send out a newsletter, maybe even just send them a response, just telling them, hey, you know, we're praying for you. And the last thing that I would say is there's a hundred ways to get involved in missions, but another way that I would say is just love your own local church. God has placed you right here in this local church. Serve well as members. Love the body of Christ. Care for the needs of those who have needs. Submit and care and, and, and pray for your, for your leaders that God has placed over you. Commit to coming every Sunday and being a good listener to the sermons that are preached. And you know, honestly, that is one of the greatest ways that you can be committed to, to global missions because as missionaries, when we come back, we care about that. We, we care about people who just love their local church and who are contributing to making their local church a healthy local church that is a light in their community. I told you I was going to conclude with that, but that was, that was a little lie. I have one more thing to say. I want to ask that you would pray for a couple in our church. In, in our church in Argentina, we live in Cordoba, Argentina. And about 13 years ago, there was a church that was planted in a very, very dark area in northern Argentina in, the, in a province called Salta Province. And it's, it's a town that's called Cachi. 
and it's very, very dark. There's a lot of abuse. There's a lot of earth religion, religion and mysticism and, and witchcraft type stuff. It's just a very dark place. And there's one church that we've planted there, and it's about the only local, only healthy church in that area. The church that, the, the pastor that planted that church um, had to come back to Cordoba after 10 years of ministering faithfully. Um, and, and so to replace him, we, we sent a couple about three months ago, and their names are Mati and Ivana. And they're in their late 20s and early 30s. They're a young couple. But they love the Lord, and they're seeking to, to be a light and missionaries in the north of Argentina to this, to this place. So they're newly married. So I just ask that you all would pray for them today, Mati and Ivana, and for their ministry um, in, in the north of Argentina in Cachi. Thank you. Let me pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for your kindness. Um, we celebrate the fact that we are here today, that we can fellowship with other believers, and that we can celebrate the resurrection of, of Christ, that we can hear from your word, that we can pray for the healing of beloved people in this body. And we just give you all the glory because we don't deserve any of it, but you deserve all of it. Most of all, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that while we were still sinners, deserving hell and your wrath, you sent Jesus to die for us. So, Father, thank you. We thank you for the, the, the worship team here that leads in worship, that helps us lift up our voices to you. In Jesus' name, amen.